Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You think you know. But you have no idea. This, this is, is the, the Diary, Diary of Back Issue. November 2nd, 2020. Beyonce? You look like Luther Van Dross. Oh, but make it fashion. But you ain't heard that from me. Fierce. Can't stop. You see, when you do <laughs> clownery, the clown comes back I to bite. I ain't no sleep because of y'all. It's Britney, bitch. Y'all not gonna get we no sleep because of me. But I ain't gonna get no sleep because of me. Who said that? Welcome to Back Issue, a weekly podcast that revisits formative moments in pop culture that we still think about. This week, I'm Tracy Clayton, and welcome to my crib. This is where all the magic happens. (laughs) I want my MTV! (laughs) This is the true story. Seven strangers (laughs) picked to live in a loft. I'll win because I worked at Hooters, and now my Hooters work for me. First, y'all gotta walk to Queens and give me a sugar cookie. Each week, we'll go back into the past and revisit unforgettable moments we all think we remember. And learn what they can teach us about where we are now. I'm Tracy Clayton. And I'm Josh Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Trace. Yeah. I know that you loved MTV as much as I loved MTV. I did, of course. Yes. So for some people, it was a place where you could get music videos. Do you remember what a music video is? A music video <laughs> is that thing that's in like um, first aid kits, right? And you like rub them together and you like clear. <laughs> is, that what a, is that what a music video is? A defibrillator. Yes. But for pop culture. Yes. Okay. Got us all excited. <laughs> I feel like there was a four-year span where all I did was watch music videos. Mm. But MTV was more than just music. It had another card up its sleeve that spoke to all of us. We were all obsessed. What was that card? Reality TV. I love reality TV. Oh, true life. The real world. Room Raiders. Ew, the next bus. Ah! It's so nasty. We're going to get into a lot of these shows today. But as usual, 
We have a lot to say about MTV in the 90s and the early aughts, but I think that later we should bring in someone who was there, Woo-hoo! who can speak as an insider, friend of the pod, Erica Clark, who is now the executive producer of original content and development at Spotify and who spent 10 years at MTV. She is a legend. I'm sure she has Odyssey. I am very, very hyped. But first, let's take a moment and talk about how MTV was that girl. So, if you've ever watched any of those documentary shows about the decades, <laughs> because you were pretending to be sick <laughs> to stay at home from school or work, then you probably know about the beginning of MTV. So, MTV was launched in the fall of 1981, which is one year before yours truly decided to be born. You're welcome. Come on, decision. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, you know what? This womb is cozy and all, but uh, let me make things worse and go see <laughs> what they do. What a bad choice. So, the channel was launched with the image of the Apollo 11 moon landing. You remember that with the little mm-hmm. flag on the moon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw my descriptors for that. It was a new concept because it combined, quote, the best of TV with the best of radio. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Fittingly, the first music video that ever played on MTV was Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. And they hired VJs, which were like a cross between a DJ and a TV host. MTV at the time relied really heavily on a rock format, which excluded a lot of black artists, except for those whose influence was too big to ignore, right? So those who had like, quote unquote, crossed over, think Michael Jackson, Donna Summer, Prince, that type. Yeah, it was so bad that even white folks like David Bowie were like, yo, (laughs) there is a problem. It it occurred to me, having watched MTV over the last few months, I'm just floored by the fact that there's so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. We want to play artists that seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play for MTV. The the company is thinking in terms of narrow casting. That's evident. (laughs) Did you catch it? The shady? Well, he was like, that's obvious or whatever. (laughs) I mean, clearly. And, like, the fact that this is, like, a white man, yes, but a British white man, which is, like, the whitest white man. Right, right. He's just like, y'all, y'all messing up. But you know what? That's a whole nother episode. We need a lifetime to talk about all of media's racism. So today (laughs) we're going to focus on MTV's shift toward reality TV programming. This began in the early 90s when they stopped being polite. And start getting real. The real world. In 1992. True story. Shout out to John in that damn cowboy hat. I remember being obsessed with the real world. Instantly. Obsessed. MTV with the real world opened up this idea of bearing your soul, being authentic, means becoming Mm. famous. Mm. Right. What was your favorite season of The Real World, Tracy? Uh, my favorite, I, I feel like mine changes all the time, but most of the time it's Vegas with Ira and Alton. That first episode where Steven and Trishel, oh a.k.a. Trashel and Bryn you know were having basically like a threesome in a hot tub. We're in the hot tub naked. We're just chilling naked in the hot tub. It's all good. Next thing we know, here comes all three guys with towels around their waist. In that petri dish 
of a hot tub. It was just like human body fluids. To this day, I'm nauseous right now thinking about it. And when I saw that, I was like, this season is going to be be a mess. Something else. Yeah, absolutely. So according (laughs) to the story by ABC News in 2008, the hot tub as a trope became a staple of the real world production since season two. Details Magazine reported that hot tub sales in the United States more than doubled each year from 1996 wow. to 2006. You know what? People wanted to have what Bran, Trishel, and Stephen did. I did want the hot tub, but that's <laughs> where my—that's <laughs> where it stops for me. Uh, then there was like Karamo on The Real World Philadelphia in 2002. Oh, that neither. <laughs> okay, so disclaimer. <laughs> We're going to ignore mm-hmm. that awful t-shirt that he wore on the red carpet. Oh, that's the N-word shirt? Yeah, it said... Oh, my God. Nigga uh-huh. with an A crossed out. Then it said nigger with an E-R crossed out. And then at with the bottom it R. said neither. And then the whole internet was like, Girl! <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that you can't take away from Karamo is that he was a lot of people's first time seeing black queer masculinity Mm -hmm. on television and there's this moment that I remember from that show he goes on a date with Shavonda which is one of his castmates and Mm -hmm. he ends up coming out to her on the date but I'm I'm gay No way. So it's crazy. Dead ass. So it's always like the biggest thing. Always. No way. You can see the whiplash in her face when she's like, wait, <laughs> what? And then there were these two white boy bro-y cast members and they asked Karamo if he's ever been to a gay club. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, all the time. I go all the time. Yeah. You're not... Are you homosexual? Yeah, I'm gay. Their faces would have been a meme. Like, their <laughs> jaws are on the ground. They cannot believe that this black man in a what? fitted is queer, you know? Oh my gosh, I remember that, but I have to say that one of my favorite people of the entire the entire franchise. The real world road rules cinematic universe. Yes. <laughs> yes. All of that were like they collide in like this big ass Marvel versus right, DC movie. Right. It was just like so out. My favorite to this day. See if you can guess who it is, okay? Mm-hmm, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't wrestle. I fucking beat, beat bitches, bitches up. up. Come on, Coral. Coral the queen. <laughs> queen Coral. Uh, my favorite. MTV was really it in terms of pioneering reality TV for the youth, mm-hmm. then, for the children. The cheering. Yeah. But I also think mm. we cannot do this episode without at least mentioning TRL. Shout out to TRL and everybody who's probably still in Times Square waiting <laughs> for Carson Daly to come look at the window. <laughs> Wait. Hi, my name is Vanessa. I'm from Idlesville, Pennsylvania, and I'm here because I love the Backstreet Boys. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have the woo. The woo was a punctuation. Uh, that was good. That was good. I always wished I could have gone to a taping of TRL, but I never got a chance. 
Also, you know what I did not realize? What? Is how many people either got their start as MTV VJs or they were MTV VJs at one point in their careers. 511 people. A whole mess of them. Yeah. A mess of them. There was Carson Daly, mm-hmm. Carmen Electra, mm-hmm. Adrian Byline, which I still do not remember. <laughs> Daisy Fuentes. God, remember Daisy Fuentes? Those cheekbones. Uh, uh, and she is still just so just perfect. Uh, also, Tyrese. Shout out to Nanda Lewis. <gasps> I love her so much. I feel like VJs and video vixens were like these sort of like proto-influencers. A staple of a time gone by. Like literally everybody wanted to be them. Mm -hmm. We wanted to look like them. We wanted to see what they were wearing. What was trendy? What was hot? They were the first Instagram girls. Exactly. MTV really was everything when you think about it. Like they changed so much of pop culture. So much so that the problem that I'm having is like there's just too much to cover. You know what I mean? Right. Like, do we cover the VMAs? Mm -hmm. Do we just talk about the music videos? Remember all of the like animated shows that they had? Oh my God. Daria, Beavis and Butthead. Let's just pick a place to start, right? So we talking about MTV. Right. MTV is youth culture. Right. Youth culture is the adolescence, more or less, right? Right, What is more important to the adolescence than dating, hugs, kissing, trying to get some, flirting, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. MTV was very heavily invested in this genre of show. Right. There were so many dating shows. I think starting with... In 1995, you had Singled Out with Jenny McCarthy. Oh, my gosh. I used to love Singled Out, and I think it's because I was really impressed by how she, like, manhandled this big-ass group of terrible, awful men. Uh-huh. She would let them know, like, yo, don't fucking disrespect me like that. And I was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, you better do it, mm-hmm. Jenny. They mm-hmm. were the worst. I mean, so many people on these shows were the worst. Like, I can't believe that these shows happened. Mm-mm. Room Mm-mm. Raiders. Ugh. Remember that show? And the Blacklight? Yeah, so these were literally messy, disgusting gross shows. I don't want to see the stains of your bodily fluid illuminated Uh, in any color. In any color. Or Date My Mom. Remember that show? Yes, I wish I didn't. I really do. And then there was Parental Control. Oh my God. I hated Mm. that. But the messiest one. The messiest. I already know what you're going to say. The messiest (laughs) of all of them was next. Ugh. Dating. (laughs) It's brutal, right? And think about how much more brutal it's become with the apps. Have they helped us at all? No. But MTV's level of brutality (laughs) that they produced with the show Next. Mm. Imagine you're on Tinder, right? I already hate it, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) And you can see every single time that somebody swipes left on you. That's what Next was. That's awful. (laughs) Right. So on the show, there's one person who's going on a date with several people. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is on the Next bus. And they get out and they introduce themselves. And the amount of money that each dater gets is directly tied to how long they survive the date. Which, rude. I mean, a lesson. That's a lesson that you could teach people. (laughs) Gotta get that free meal. (laughs) But there was this one time where there was this girl named Charity. Uh And obviously the premise of the show is that she has to compete against these four other girls for some random dude. But her biggest opponent ended up being Gravity. Oh, no. Charity, you're next. Okay, let's start at the visual, Tracy. Okay, so. Okay. Charity is a product of her time. (laughs) She might have a bump it. 
she definitely has a MySpace mm-hmm. scene haircut. With like the little emo clip-in extension mm-hmm. piece. And the PC highlights. That's it. Yeah. And she falls out of the bus. Now it's <laughs> and she walks just like over, slides down. Just slides her. down. And then <laughs> she walks over to her potential date who literally says, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. Next. She lasted 17 seconds on this date she and got, got $1. $1. Do you know how pissed I'd be? See, if they cared about that girl, they'd have been like, you know what, let's do this over. <laughs> okay. But they don't. And the reason that you can tell that they don't is because they allow her to freestyle poorly in front of her <laughs> potential date, which zaps any sort of sympathy that I have for her. Hey, homie, you're, I'm your ghetto friendly surprise. You should have recognized with my exotic look and my erotic ways. You would have tried me out in different ways. So peace out. I'm out. Be the biggie smells. I can't believe I fell and busted my ass and he didn't even give me a chance. I probably loved this episode when I saw it. This show was built off of humiliation. Absolutely. It was built off of how bad and awkward do these people feel in this situation. And then there was that one episode. It was one of the gay episodes. This particular episode featured a goth guy named Thomas mm-hmm. who is about to meet a figure skater named Manny. Hi, Hi. how's it going? I'm Thomas. Manny. Hi. Next. Oh, are you serious? Very. God, f- you. Thomas's rock star looks left him feeling pumped. I would sue. Yo, this show was a mess. Brutal. The fact that we were being sent the message that it's okay to like instantly read someone and instantly judge them is kind Mm -hmm. of, it doesn't sit well. It doesn't age well. Especially when white people's favorite quote is uh, Martin Luther King's, you're supposed to not judge people by the color of their skin. That That whole thing. Shh. Don't remind white people of Martin Luther King. (laughs) They're going to start mentioning him whenever they can, out of context. (laughs) They're doing it right now. (laughs) I must say, though, my favorite moment of the next experience Mm -hmm. is when the contestants come off the bus, it freeze frames, and then three (laughs) random facts pop up on the screen about them. Right. They're just three random ass facts. They're so random and they all sound so fake. (laughs) So, let's revisit some. Okay. And we're going to take turns, and we're going to see if we would next these people. Okay. Or just kick it. Okay. Just kick it. Just kick it. Every man needs a woman. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to go first. Okay. His name is Matt. Mm-hmm. Has a chronic sweating problem. Mm. He's offended by people who eat veal. Had sex while talking on the phone to his church pastor. Question. Need some clarification on that last one. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, does that mm-hmm, mean mm-hmm. that he had sex with his church pastor while he was talking on the phone? Or he had sex with someone else while he was on the phone with his church pastor? I think it's the latter, not the former. Mm, well, either way, I mean, this is no. I just wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the hot guys. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> It's one of the beats. I'm going to say no. And honestly, it's not even the pasta part. It's the sweating part for me. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have Pierce. I like the name Pierce. You like the name Pierce? I do. Uh Uh-oh. Because of Pierce Brosnan? Exactly. (laughs) You know me so well. (laughs) (laughs) Not mad at it. Okay, Pierce. 
works at Outback. He's never been on a plane, and he dated a guy with a colostomy bag. He would absolutely not get a next from me at the beginning. Uh-huh. From the get-go, I'm seeing Outback, I'm seeing Blooming Onions. I'm seeing that pumpernickel bread. You know? That's when I was like, yeah, we're going to kick it. You've got the hookup, the Outback? Shit. And he dated a guy with a colostomy bag. Like, that says to me that he is not he superficial. He got a good heart. And he has a good heart. Exactly. And he deserves a chance. Okay, one more, Tracy. Mm-hmm. His name is Brett. He hates hand sanitizer. He's obsessed with Nicole. Next! The <laughs> it's a pandemic. Things are different now. Okay. Go ahead, though. I want to hear the rest. So he hates hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. He's obsessed with Nicole Richie, and he pees outside wherever he can. So the whenever part, the pees outside whenever he can, makes me feel like we're going to be at the park somewhere, right? Uh-huh. And he's just like, yo, man, I don't really have to pee right now, but... But I want to. It's really want to pee right now. These two things can't go together. Nah. They can't go together. Exactly! You can pee outside whenever you want, but you don't use hand sanitizer, bread. No, you have to go. You have to go. That was fun. That was a fun game. That's why we're still single. Let's <laughs> everybody. <laughs> so besides the dating shows, we also have to talk about another game show. Uh-huh. Maybe you remember it. I don't know. It was called Punked. <gasps> There were so many iconic moments on punk. So many. Britney Spears rapping to Ashton Kutcher. I take that back. I'm just tricking you, see? Because when I show my belly, everybody copies me. Yeah, yeah it's kind of cool. Go. Not that they're cowards, but I'm just Britney Spears, and I got all this power. Beyonce looking at her nails after knocking down that Christmas tree in front of all them kids. <laughs> Beyonce, why did you ruin our Christmas? And she just looked at her nails like, She just smiling. <laughs> Zach Braff beating that kid's ass for spray painting his new car. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was the episode when I was like, all right, somebody's going to get hurt doing this shit. Then there was that time when Missy was in that jewelry store and she was standing on top of a glass display case. They acted like they lost her jewelry. She was not okay. And she was like, you got to the count of 10 before I (laughs) get up here and break your whole shit. You need to bring it down to me. Okay. Don't think you need to put your let's, finger, let's, your hand back. Let's just wait. Is put your hand, on this bring your hand back. No, but you're in, inside bring, of my bring, store. Bring, you have okay, my and I'm jewelry. getting your jewelry back. Okay, I'm gonna get it back jewelry. to you. Do you understand that? that? Why would you ever punk Missy Elliott? Like, I'm not trying to get on that bad side ever in my oh, life. That sounds like awful karmic energy. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's time we take it back to the roots. The thing that MTV was known for. What? Music. music <laughs> I too love a music video you know I really do I love them back in the day but the first thing I think of when I think of MTV and music is making the band oh my gosh top quality drama we used to have watching parties for making the band yes but making the band didn't start on MTV it started on ABC and they made this band called O-Town uh-huh. who had the songs like Liquid Dreams and All or Nothing at All But then MTV took over making the Uh band and they gave it to Diddy, who decided to start it off with a group that he would call The Band, which was an ensemble. It had Sarah, who was a vocalist. Uh It had Ness, 
who was He's the, the East Coast rapper. He was the one that sounded like um, a Timbaland boot and a hoodie. A Timbaland boot and a yes. hoodie. It had Choppa, who was like no he limit. It had Babs, who was the female Timbaland boot with the heel from <laughs> from that era. Uh huh. Boots with the heel. And then it had Dylon, 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 and Dylon. Five Dylon. And <laughs> it was really great. But when I think of making the band, I think of the next season, which is actually when he started the group Danny DK. Mm, also top quality drama. They ha- have had a lot of breakups and a lot of makeup. They have been through it. They've been through it and through it and through it. But they started their relationship by going through it and through it and through it. That's true. The thing that lives rent-free in my mind from making the band <laughs> three, mm-hmm. people loved talking about Aubrey O'Day. Yeah. They love talking about Don Richard. They love talking about Diddy. They love talking about D. Woods sometimes. <laughs> but my favorite person was Boom Boom Cat, mm. a.k.a. Lorianne Gibson. A Boom Cat. A Boom Boom, boom Cat. cat. So boom, the internet cat. named her boom boom, boom boom Cat because of her way of expressing counts. Instead of mm-hmm. going one and two and three and four, she used to make sounds. Boom Boom Cat. <laughs> boom, boom, boom Boom Cat, which I totally understand. <laughs> and she started her career as a fly girl. She was on In Living Color. Shout out to In Living Color. Hey, and she was a choreographer who worked with like Michael Jackson, Alicia Keys, mm-hmm. Beyonce. She was even Lady Gaga's creative director for a while. Mm. And she was the director of choreography for Bad Boy Records. And let me tell you, her... And Puff used to put those girls through it. Oh, my God. I have a very, very vivid memory of her making the girls who would become Danny DeCane audition Mm -hmm. and dance over and over and over to the choreography set to one, two step. It was getting frustrating. What is that? What is going on up there? How are you going to learn 10 songs? This is when I was like, oh, I couldn't be a dancer. I already knew I couldn't be a dancer. I didn't need the confirmation. But I was just like, leave them alone. Uh, Let them sit down. Yeah. I always think of um, (laughs) when Diddy (laughs) fired on live TV, Dee Woods and Aubrey O'Day on live TV. I don't want you in the group no more. And anybody else that want to go with her could go with her. Based on a lot of things that I've heard, you're not really a happy camper in this situation. No, I don't think anyone has been happy for a okay. long time in this situation. Okay, so you could go too. And with that, it was over. I remember being like, is this real? Mm. Do they really not have jobs anymore? Is Danny DeCane really over? And you know what? I feel like today will not be the last time that you utter those words. Exactly. But after Making the Band 3, you had Making the Band 4, which mm-hmm. featured an all-boy group called Day 26. Mm. Or as I like to call them, Willie and the rest of them. <laughs> really in the boys? Yes, Willie and the boys. Um, aside from Willie just being gorgeous, yeah. something that I always think about when I think of Day 26. <laughs> I know where this is going. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. It's one of my favorite moments, not just in Day 26 history, not just in Making the Band history. It's one of my favorite reality show moments of all time, period. I think it's in my top five for sure. Absolutely. It was the sing-off, the battle sing-off, where you got the original Day 26 members in the house. Diddy brings in some more dudes to kind of like shake them up. You know what I'm saying? Like get them a little scared. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, we're going to have a sing-off. None of you are safe. Exactly. And then this man, I just remember cornrows and like 
a white tank top, uh-huh. and he starts singing Gone by NSYNC, but he does it as if he's, like, battle rapping, so we got, like, yes! the hip-hop hands. <laughs> right! I see Brian, he's stepping up in front of me. I ain't no punk, so I'm gonna step up in front of him. There's a thousand words that I could say to make you come home, yeah. And then he would try to, like, ad-lib at the end, and I was just like, what is he doing? But my favorite part of this clip mm-hmm. is when the boys responded on the other side of the table and they were ready for this challenge. (laughs) Like, they were going to war and they're going to war singing End of the Road by Boys to Men. There's people in the back like, just hitting that. Although we go to the end of... And then the little short dude in the front just, like, goes off at the end. He's just like, yeah! <laughs> like, you better do it! It was everything I've ever wanted in a reality television moment in my life. Uh, what a mo- Do you think that we're ever going to have a moment like that again in reality TV? Uh, I hope so. I hope so, too. But... None of these shows lasted as long as The Behemoth, Cribs, which started in 2000 and outlasted all your faves, still running to this day, even though now it's on Snapchat. People still use Snapchat? Well, shout out to them. I will never forget the Mariah Carey Cribs. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. That is like, talk about aspirational. That okay. is the time where I was like, okay, all right, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be this one right here. We have a little gold leaf designs on the floor. That's a little M behind you. See that? I'm trying to be this one right here. The closet. Yes. The walls that were glazed like kids. <laughs> the most comfortable couch in all the land. And the stair stepper. Yes. In them heels. Mm-hmm. You don't work. You, that's not how you use that, Mariah. Is that how you do that? And she was just like, yes, it is. And I was just like, teach me. I love all of these big, glitzy, glamorous episodes mm-hmm. of Cribs. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, one of the best Epi- like top two episode maybe uh-huh. is Red Man showing us yes his two bedroom Staten Island apartment regular <laughs> degular schmegular regular degular schmegular nigga shit okay what it was he had a cousin sleep on the floor and I was like you know what I see myself I get it MTV I get it finally real nigga shit <laughs> exactly got my ironing board right here you know we iron on the floor in here you know it's easy uh and watch TV at the same time. He was giving us authenticity. Yeah, and he was also, like, in retrospect, highlighting, like, we just were regular people. It was a critique of capitalism, Tracy. Bam. That's, see, that is what I was trying to say. I was <laughs> like, you right. Tracy, I could spend all day talking about Cribs, but I think it's time that we ask someone who knows a little bit more than we do. So, after the break... We're going to talk to Erica Clark, who's currently the executive producer at Spotify Studios, but she spent 10 years at MTV and worked on some of the most iconic episodes of Diary, including Alia. After the break. Mm. 
I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest Who Liberty stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So when I got to MTV, it was like Mecca. I swoon about that place. I am so lucky I was there when I was. It was a great time to sort of be like young and getting your foot in the business because it was like trial by fire. Mm. You know, it was like you got thrown in the pool and you figured it out. Tracy and I wanted to talk to someone who worked at MTV when it was popping during the late 90s, early aughts. Erica Clark is currently an executive producer at Spotify Studios, but between 1996 and 2007, she worked at MTV on iconic shows like Diary and like Cribs. We asked Erica what it was like to work at MTV during its heyday. My boss, when I was doing Diary Valia, I was like scared. I was like, what? They're letting me do this? And he was just like, don't forget to press record. You'll be fine. Bye. <laughs> like, no. like, he was just like, you got this. And it was just that thing of like being a young creator, having this place that sort of trusted you to do that. I remember when I was little, when people would ask where I wanted to work, I was always like MTV because it was what was cool. It was what was grown up. It was what was pop culture. What drew you to want to work at MTV and stay there for 10 years? I'm like a pop culture junkie. I was that person that was like, I'm going to watch every single award show. Yes. And I would call my best friend at the time, Vanessa, and we'd be on the phone watching the Grammys. And like my mom's boyfriends would call and I'd be like, call waiting. I don't know her. Like I would never like, <laughs> like, like Did you, what's his face call? No, he didn't. Don't worry about it. I got to see who wins best new artist. But then I wanted to work at MTV and for like two years in college, I kept sending applications. I'm like, this will be it. I'm going to do it. And no joke broadcast news writing class y'all remember the view like the very first season of, of the view mm-hmm. debbie matinopolis was in my broadcast news writing class what? and she was a pa at mtv and she's like if you guys anyone wants to intern mtv let me know i'll like get your resume oh my in there. god wow. so i was like i do i do and she's like oh yeah i'll give you like you know no worries just give me your resume the next day the internship coordinator called me 
Wow. Like is so shout out to Debbie Matinopoulos. What an origin story. And I remember I think I was doing diary of like Aaliyah and literally she was on the red carpet doing something and she's like uh-huh. girl and I'm like girl oh, it was it was our wow. Whitney Natalie Cole moment that uh, was it you know I love so. it what a gift I completely understand what you mean now what shows MTV shows in particular of course would you say epitomized your youth I love the real world like the real mm. world was like season one don't even I was just like are you are you like I just every time that so I was obsessed with 120 minutes I love the all like the alternative music shows there was a show called remote control which was a great show I remember remote control remote control yeah Um, (laughs) I just watched videos I would record the video God, I am 95 years old. I'm about to say, like, on <laughs> my VHS. Um, <laughs> but, like, the real world was that thing. Favorite yes. season of the real world? Ooh, Seattle was good when he threw that that teddy bear into the water. But I'm still old school. I love the first season. I just loved Heather mm. B. Mm-hmm. I live for Heather. Uh, I like, yes. Heather, Heather B. Heather B. and Julie, their friendship was beautiful. Really I loved was. it. That might be one of the first like interracial friendships that I saw like that. That's another example of real world right there where they just let them be. Yeah. And people are like, that's boring. I'm like, I don't find it boring. I find it exciting mm-hmm. because I yeah. get to be nosy in someone's life. You were with MTV from 1996 to 2007. So you saw the development of a bunch of iconic shows. The timing is right so that you saw the shift of MTV from playing primarily music-based content Mm -hmm. to more reality-based content. What was that shift like? I think when I was there, it was still music-based because mm-hmm. we were doing, like, ultrasound. It was, like, the show called, like, The Deal That Changed My Life and, like, your cribs, your diary. MTV still had their DNA. Year by year, we probably saw it gradually change. Speaking of cribs, you were part of the development team for the series. Is that right? Yes. Which, thank you for I your mean, contribution. I feel like a patriot. No. I mean, <laughs> you are, though. I'm pretty sure you are because I feel like before that, we knew that celebrities were rich, but we didn't know what that looked like. How did that idea come about? I remember at one point, someone was talking about like something like in style and a home tour. This was the time, you know, on MTV, people had an idea and people were like, okay, try it. But at the same time, it wasn't like people were just letting us in their houses. What? You mean you didn't just show up? And then they just were like, oh, hello, I wasn't expecting you as I sit here in my fancy clothes <laughs> with my champagne. That said, though, I won the first, I think it might have been the first one I did, Steve Harwell's Smash Mouth. Allegedly, his publicist didn't tell him it was a home tour. He what? thought it was an interview. What? Oh. Yes. So that nice man was like, uh... Well, I got to be in, because he lived in Vegas, I got to be in L.A. in like three hours. So if you can get it done. But he was just like, I I, I, I didn't really know this is a, a home Wow. And he let you in his house? I just, let me tell you the extent to which y'all would have got put out of my house. I don't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> you know? like Martin. Exactly. Like, this room is clean. Why are you here? Some of that draws on the floor. You're going to have to come back later. I will say that before we hopped on this call, I went to the YouTubes. And I typed in the mm-hmm. word Red Man. And the fifth suggested entry was Red Man in mm-hmm. TV Cribs. It seemed like every episode was lifestyles of the rich and the famous, but mm-hmm. for our generation. Red Man's episode was the opposite of that. It was mm-hmm. like, I'm normal as fuck. <laughs> I was in the post for that one. I think when everyone got there, they were like, oh, uh, okay. 
(laughs) (laughs) I think that was that that point where people were like, oh, personality. He was just so funny. He was like, sure, come in my house. I'm not going to do anything beyond what I usually do. And, And there's, and Sugar Bear was asleep. Like that was not, he was not, that was not an act. That's what happened. He had a money box. Right. Can I tell you my biggest regret? Yes. What? I don't remember what cribs I was on at the time, but I missed the Patti LaBelle one. And to this day, today it breaks my heart. I'm happy for the producer. I see you, Sionine Lorenzo. But to this day, she's like, yeah, she cooked for us. And I was like, I know she cooked for you. I know Miss Patti. She cooked? She cooked for him. It's Miss Patti. Yeah, you're right. That is like my biggest cribs regret that I didn't get to go to Patti LaBelle's home. So that's Uh, it. I mean, it's a pretty cool regret to have. I feel like that's like, Peak first world black regret. (laughs) Welcome to the club, the club of people who have never been to Patti LaBelle's house. (laughs) What is another Cribs episode that you worked on that surprised you? Richard Branson going to his island in the story. <gasps> oh my god! Like don't, don't even like that. Wasn't like Mariah living. Carey on that episode? Mariah Carey was there. She was just staying right. at a back house or something. Just just being Mariah Carey, the legend. And right. let me tell you right now, couldn't have been nicer. What he was like, let me carry that bag for you. I said to him, "You are the nicest billionaire I know." I'm like, "Well, sir, you're the only billionaire I know." <laughs> Yeah. Another episode I think about, and I wonder if you worked on, was the Carmen Electra episode? Yes, sir. Carmen Electra. First off, she at one point was a prince protege, so therefore she becomes a legend always. Right, right. But simple fact of the matter is her neighbor was Apollonia. And I was, <gasps> I was dead, D-E-A-D, yes. Was she home when y'all were recording? Apollonia came over, knocked on the door with her dog, with one of those cones, and was like, hi, I'm Apollonia. And I'm in my mind going, yeah, I'm very well aware you're Apollonia. Wow. I was like, we are the world. This is amazing. <laughs> we truly are the children. Like, wow. That is Like, wow, 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 wow. But yeah. I have nothing but the greatest stories because it's not a regular interview. You are going to people's right. homes and they are just sort of like... They feel like you're on their turf. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're on their turf, so please take off your shoes mm-hmm. and make sure you don't <laughs> leave our house dirty. And we never did. Thank you very much. Mm. Wonderful stories indeed. Can I talk to you about one of my favorite pieces of MTV programming ever? Sure. You worked with Aaliyah on this episode of Diary that came out right around the time of her death. And Aaliyah was so mysterious. And in this episode, you just got to see her be human. And it came out at a time when we were like really mourning her. So what did it mean to make something so intimate about someone so iconic that was timed so closely to when she passed? You know, it puts a lot of things in perspective because you're not thinking anything like that's going to happen. She was very mysterious. And I think just private. When we were doing Diary, it was just one person with a camera. We were miking them. We were fly on the wall. And that was the yeah. that was the objective and the point. We were really embedded with her and her brother and then her, her team who were so yeah. protective and loving of her. Mm. You sort of wanted to also respect that because you know it's like this young woman 
had lived a lot of life yeah. already at such a young age. And I was just yeah. so impressed by what a professional she was. Mm-hmm. And I also, as this young black woman who carried herself so well, I wanted to sort of like respect that as another black woman. You know, to go back to your 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 question, it was bizarre and it was sad. And it was one of those things, again, where we had just filmed with her and we wanted to be as respectful as possible. You know, I to this I love that show. I wanted to show the fun she was having because yeah. she truly loved her fans. Like that was yeah, not put yeah. on. She really loved her team. She could not have been kinder and more what you want like a pop star yeah. to be. I was just like, you know, uh. when you were talking earlier about making sure that it was respectful and respecting like her status as a a pop icon and as a black woman, I think that all of that really came across very well, which is why I think Diary was just such like a more intimate sit down and like conversation. So you're actually in a really unique position because you were a part of like the first wave of MTV reality shows, working on shows like Cribs and Diary. But then you're also part of that second wave that includes really big franchises, including Real Housewives of New Jersey. And you worked on season one? Yes. (laughs) I feel like the difference of working on a show like Diary and then going to a show like Real Housewives of New Jersey had to be jarring for you. That was a whole different ballgame. I produced Danielle. Oh my God. Yes. That lady made sure when the crews came over, were there snacks and was there water? She was so nice. Like, I am not kidding. She was, she was so nice to the crew. But yeah, that was, and I was there for the table flip before you asked me. (gasps) Yes. So when you saw Teresa Judice flip that table, (laughs) were you just Mm -hmm. like, Cut, check, Emmy. Like, <laughs> give it to us. Did you know what you were watching? My first thought was, oh, Lord, did some glass fly on anybody? Right, like, I ran right. out. I ran out. Are we going to get sued? So no one, uh-huh. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wow. They, all these cameras got all this. It was wild because I always used to joke with a couple of friends that like one day I went to go and flip a table. And I, <laughs> ran, and, I, and I remember calling one of my friends afterwards and I'm like, Yo, the dream just came true. I just saw it. She's like, what do you care? I'm like, uh, Teresa just flipped the table. Like, it was just, but like, it was, but it was, it was literally such a surprise. You don't expect someone to flip a table. Like, I was like, (laughs) I was like, wow, maybe I'm not built for this. This is deep. It's wild. My tombstone will say, and she was there for the table flip. Like that one. (laughs) Can we have more fun facts and like juicy tidbits and behind the scenes stories? I just want a hit list. Yes. The most embarrassing is it was Usher. It was record release at a club on Bowery. I'm trying to get a shot of the whole club. So I get on his table. And I accidentally kick a bottle of Cristal <gasps> off the table. Oh my gosh, that's like a million dollars. And it's Lil John's bottle of Cristal. And like, oh my God. and he looked at me with just such sadness in his eyes. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. 
Was he like, no, 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 uh, no, no, I don't, and all, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me tell you, that okay went away real quick. He, was like, he went back to Lil John that was like, Lil Jonathan. Jonathan. Like, oh, man. <laughs> like, like, he went back to like, John John. Oh, no. Like, ma'am, really? And he was just like, and then Usher just looked, he was like, it's okay, you can afford it. Oh, uh, my gosh. So, <laughs> what do you think? made the shows like Diary and Cribs and all the MTV programming from that era so resonant? And why do you think that we're still talking about them now? I think a lot of it was the access at that point probably felt like very kind of new. And I think with Diary was another example of the fact that like, it wasn't like necessarily just a press tour. It was like, I'm at their house. You know, they're taking their dog walking. They're visiting family. It was like proto Instagram live. Yeah, and it was like behind the scenes. It's sort of like, it wasn't as glossy. Mm. It resonates because it was before social media. This was not right. something people did every single day. And they had to decide, I'm going to let you be embedded with me. And I don't think any of us thought like, oh, like we're going to be talking about Cribs 20 years later. Yeah. This is wild. It's Isn't 20 it? years. MTV, especially when you were working there, was the center of everything considered youth culture. And I don't think MTV is that place anymore, Mm -hmm. necessarily. Like, I don't know if people are going to MTV now in the way that they used to, like in the 90s and the 2000s. What do you think that our culture is missing without MTV being what it was? Things have changed so much that I don't know if Mm -hmm. one thing can be the defining place for youth culture now. When the media landscape and when society and culture gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, one entity can't take it all. Everything is everywhere. We have like influencer culture, or is it, you know, you're on Fairfax in LA, is and is it like the hype beast? Like, is that where you're finding stuff? It's everywhere. How do you keep up? Like, right. where is yeah. that thing, that touchstone? This has been illuminating, enlightening, and such a joy. Where can people find you on social media? Oh, you can find me at Miss Erica Clark. That's M-I-S-S-E-R-I-K-A-C-L-A-R-K-E. We have now come to that part of the party where we try to make Tyra Banks proud and learn something from this. So, Joshua, Mm -hmm. did we learn something from this? I think we did learn something from this. What did we have learned? One of the things that I keep thinking about is how much of a fool's errand it is to try to establish a business that is the center of youth culture. Mm. At its prime, MTV catered to young millennials. And, like, the Zoomers, they don't really fuck with it like we did, you know? And Uh so what does it mean for a station built on youth culture if they're no longer relevant with the youth? And I think that that's a problem that's intrinsic with the model, right? Like, if you're building a media organization or a company or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you want it to be centered in what youth culture is youth culture by definition is always going to change 
depending on mm-hmm. the next kids that come up and what they're experiencing and what the they're going through. Yeah. And they're going to either rebel and want to be in opposition to like what the people that came ahead of them are. And so mm-hmm. the fact that MTV doesn't exist in the same way that it did when we were younger, mm-hmm. I think it used to make me sad. But now I think that it makes me excited because the kids... The, the youth, they're going to take what they're going to take and what they consider cool. Mm-hmm. And they're going to establish a new set of rules and a new set of kids that are cool and a new set of music that they want to yeah. listen to. And that music is going to be what they wake their kids up on Saturday to clean. With, yeah. You know, and the cycle of life <laughs> goes on. Lil Yachty. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody waking their kids up with Lil Yachty to clean on Saturday? No. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> but one day, one day it will be so. Um, another thing that I learned is that the world and how we express youth culture today would be so different without MTV. Like, even though um, appointment TV is dead, you know, like mm-hmm. even though MTV doesn't play like the kind of role in the lives of kids today, like it did ours, mm-hmm. it still sort of like guided the things that like we wanted out of life, right? Yeah. Like all these aspirational shows, like that sort of like made us so hungry for more exposure to the lives of celebrities, which we get with social media for better, for right. worse, sometimes right. for much worse. Worse. But <laughs> <laughs> like all of this and talking to Erica made me wonder like what would life have been like if there was no MTV? You know, like what would we be doing now? Well, I mean, I don't know. Is it a butterfly effect thing? Yeah. Like at that time we didn't have the technology for where we got our music and pop culture stuff yeah. from. To be democratized. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were how many channels in the 80s? Like, you know what I mean? Like, If you didn't have cable like me, there were four. You know? <laughs> and so MTV played a really, really pivotal role in being this large gathering place where everyone came. I mean, where white people came and then eventually black people came <laughs> to share what they thought was cool and share yeah. the music that they were working on and the music that they thought was good. But now there's not as much of a need. Yeah. And I think that that's okay. I also learned that they used to play music videos, which is just like wild. (laughs) (laughs) Back issue was a production of Pineapple Street Studios. Woo! (laughs) This show was created and is hosted by Tracy Clayton and Josh Glenn. Our lead producers are Josh Gwynn and Emmanuel Hapsis. Our managing producer is John Asante. Our senior editor is Leela Day. Our associate producers are Alexis Moore and Zandra Ellen. Our intern is Brianna Garrett. Special thanks to Gabrielle Young. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. This show features music by Don Will. You can follow him on all the socials at DJ Don Will. And you can follow me on the socials at Brokey McCarvity. And me, Josh, at Regarding Josh. Subscribe to this podcast wherever free podcasts are sold. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. And in the spirit of TRL, if you like this podcast, vote it up. Give us a five-star review. It really matters. See you next week. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Everybody keeps calling me a house shoe, but I tell them, I'm "Girl, a you a slide. You a slide. <laughs> Don't let nobody tell you different."